A man told a story on the radio recently. I believe it was on This American Life, but I'm not absolutely sure. And it concerned the mysterious circumstances which not only led to his marriage, but how those same mysterious circumstances kept them together even during very, very difficult times. He told about how when he was dating his now wife, when they were just boyfriend and girlfriend, and her name is Elizabeth, and how one day he was out not with her and he was going to buy something, and he took the money out of his wallet, and he noticed that one of the dollar bills had the name Elizabeth written on it. Someone had written Elizabeth on it, and he thought yeah, that was kind of quirky and what a great coincidence. So he took that dollar bill back and paid with other money, and decided that he was going to give this dollar bill to Elizabeth as kind of a gag present. Isn't this strange? So he went to the dollar store and he bought a plastic frame and he put the dollar bill in the plastic frame and then wrapped it and then one day finally gave it to her. And when she unwrapped it, something about it took her breath away. Sensing... sensing she was making a bit much out of this silly gift. He explained the story and how he thought it would just be a cute thing to give her. But nothing seemed to assuage her of her awe and befuddlement. And finally he asked, what's up with this gift? And she said, I'll tell you later. Time goes on. They're engaged. They get married. They move into a house together. And as they're unpacking the boxes the guy comes across this framed dollar bill. And he turns to his wife and says, you never told me what all the fuss over this dollar bill was. And so finally she told him, before they met, she had gone through a terrible breakup and she was sick and tired of trying to find the right man to marry. So she took a couple of dollar bills and wrote her name on them, Elizabeth, and half-kiddingly said, the man who brings this dollar back to me. That's the sign that this is the man I'm supposed to marry. So you can imagine her shock when her boyfriend not only presents her with this dollar bill, but it's framed and wrapped as a present. And she didn't want to tell him the story behind it until after they were married, so he didn't feel pressure that he had to marry her. And he said, how crazy is this? And, and what does it mean? Is this a sign? Are they destined for greatness as a couple in some way? Are they going to have a, a child that's going to grow up to be president or cure cancer or something? So when they would get into a huge fight and they were even thinking maybe we want to break up at this point, they would remember the dollar bill and how marked their marriage is and their obligation to keep it together. And so it would work extra hard to keep their marriage intact. Now, that's a nice story. It's a cute story. I like this story. I think it's worth telling. But the remarkable incident of the dollar bill is not what makes their marriage special. What makes it special is that two people chose each other in a covenant, giving themselves over in a radical way in love to another person. They stood up in front of a community of believers and promised publicly to love each other for the rest of their lives. What makes it special is the sacramentality of it, the blessing and support of God and his church, the dignity of the institution of marriage, of the family. 
of Western civilization. Not a coincidence of a dollar bill and a dollar frame store. It's something both greater and more fundamental. So in the same way, what makes you special? Is it because you have a talent? Is it because you have a job? Is it because you are an upright citizen or a rebel? Is it because you have the right people who love you? Is it because you stand up for the right things? Are you special because people remark how special you are? Is it because of the grades that you get at school or because you give more back to society? Is it because the government has decided that you deserve to live because you have not committed a grave enough crime or that you took your first breath on your own or that you have a heartbeat? All of those things are great and all of them have a place. But they are not what makes you special. It is something far greater and something far more fundamental. What makes you special over and above the rest of creation is that you were made in the very image and likeness of God, we are told. And some people will say that's because we think, because we have free will. It's because we can reason. But St. John Paul II tells us in the theology of the body, it, you know, it's those things. But it's even stamped into our very bodies. It's about who we are. And therefore, the more we understand about ourselves, the more we're going to understand about God. And the more we understand about God, the more we're going to understand about ourselves because we are made in his likeness and image. You know, just think about God. We have one God, a simple God, singular but that God is represented to us in three distinct persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you think about the first person of the Blessed Sacrament, or the Blessed Trinity, from all, all time, from, from ever, gives everything about himself to the second person of the Blessed Trinity. All the love, all the honor, all the attention, all the glory, all the power. And the second person of the Blessed Trinity receives that. And returns all that to the first person of the, blessed sac- of the blessed trinity. All the love, all the honor, all the glory, all the power. And that love between them is so strong and so palpable, it becomes fruitful. And we have the Holy Spirit. When we think about Adam, in the very, very beginning, Adam stands for the totality of humanity in a single person, Right? Everything that a human being needed to be was contained within Adam. And Adam standing in the middle of the garden, he's surrounded by all this beauty and by all this life. And he realizes there's something essentially different about him than the rest of creation. John Paul II calls this original solitude. He was alone. And so God takes a bone out of Adam, not from the head so that this other creature will be above him and not from the foot so that this other creature will be below him, but from his side and builds it up into woman. And now man, who is one, is now two. And a human being cannot do everything that a human being is capable of doing until he finds his complementary partner and is united with that person in marriage. In scripture that says they are no longer two flesh, therefore, but one, singular. And within that singularity, as we have one God, within that singularity, 
Husband gives everything about himself to his wife, all his love, all his attention, all the honor, and wife returns that to him. But even more so, stamped into his body, he gives everything about himself to his wife. Uh, 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 his eye color, his body statures, his intelligence, his family history going back to forever. And wife receives that, returns it back to her, his, her husband, all the honor, all the tension, all the, all the uh, dignity, and mixes that information with her own eye color, body stature, intelligence, and family history going back to forever. And that love between them is to be so strong and so palpable, it becomes fruitful. And a symbol of their love is born into the world. Within that singularity... We have the fruitfulness of community. That's why we do not act as married persons unless we are actually married within that unity. Otherwise, we are lying with our bodies. We're saying one thing with the way we live and another thing with what we do with our bodies, practicing a unity that does not exist and marring the image of God that we are to be. Do you know your dignity and your worth are greater then you can ever imagine the reality of which will only fully come to you in the next life. It is God-given. And we don't have the right to take that dignity from anybody, even if they give us permission. And further, we do not have the right to degrade ourselves. We may have the ability, we may have the protection of the law to do it, but not the right. With your great dignity, then, is it any wonder that God, who could most fully take up residence anywhere in the world, in a tree, in the grass, in the dog, chooses you? Brothers and sisters, St. Paul says to us today, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? Be holy, therefore, we are told in the first reading. For I, the Lord, your God, am holy. So when we go to confession, it's a really good thing to confess our sins against God. It's a great thing to confess our sins against our brothers and sisters. It's a great thing to confess our sins about the way we treat other people's property, all of God's creation. But don't neglect yourself. You were entrusted with this life, with this soul, with this body, with this mind. It is to be a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. And in a little while, it's going to be a tabernacle of the Lord. Therefore, we take care of these gifts. One of the difficult things is when you become a caregiver in the home, full time. Nobody takes care of the caregiver. If you don't take care of the caregiver yourself, you will break down to the point of not being able to be that caregiver anymore. Then not only will you be out of commission, the person you're supposed to be helping is going to be having difficulties. The diocese is always yelling at us priests that we don't take care of ourselves that we should be getting our yearly physicals and whatnot. But we're just bad at that. I can't stand the amount of time it takes out of my day to do that. So when you have the opportunity, do you get enough rest? Do you try to eat well and in moderation? Do you exercise? Do you follow the reasonable recommendations of your doctors? 
My doctor said no more olives and no more value time cheese curls. Completely unreasonable, so we don't listen to that. And as this body of yours is a temple, do you adorn it modestly so that it is not an occasion of sin for you or for others? And all within reason, of course. You don't avoid taking someone to the hospital because you need to take a nap. You know, and a friend of mine is all about this body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So he exercises. He eats well. He, he, he admonishes us all, but he smokes like a chimney. I said, I thought, well, what, what? I thought this was the body was the holy temple. He goes, I'm just incensing the temple. I don't know. In the long run, it is not only reasonable, but virtuous to also tend to your health and well-being within the realm of our obligations to others.